Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Diva Behavior, the podcast. I'm your host, Molly Mulshine, and I think it's safe to say that I'm in a better mood today and this week than I have been during previous weeks of 2020. I think we all know why. We've got an election special coming up next week, but this week we're going to stick to our standard formula of talking about the most iconic women in pop culture history with the most iconic pop culture commentators of today. My guest this week is Jen Gannon. She is an Irish pop culture journalist and broadcaster, and she is a fangirl for 90210, which, not to freak you out or anything, but had its 30th anniversary in October. Yes, the 90s were 30 years ago. Time is a flat circle. I mean, March was also 30 years ago, so I'm not going to let it make me feel old personally, but I'm not going to tell you guys how to feel about it. You know, 90210 revolutionized the teen tv show and so many amazing shows have followed in its wake like gossip girl the oc euphoria we get into all that but the breakout star of the show i would say was shannon doherty shannon doherty started sort of as the girl next door on the show and then as she continued to accumulate more and more headlines in her real life for fistfights and drunk driving and things of that nature Her character also sort of started to take a turn, too, until one day in 1994 when she walked off the set. She kept her bad girl image throughout the 90s and the 2000s. She came back to our TVs on Charmed, which she also ended up walking off the set and quitting that show. So Shannon Doherty really laid the groundwork for the 90s and 2000s wild child. You know, she sort of created the template that Paris Hilton, Lindsay Lohan, Nicole Richie, even Kim Kardashian to an extent would end up emulating during the 2000s. They all owe a lot to her. Pop culture owes a lot to her. She was definitely misunderstood in a way and in other ways not so misunderstood because she'll be the first person to tell you that she was acting out when she was at the peak of her fame in 90210 and she doesn't really apologize for it she just kind of says yeah that's the way it was and I've looked back on it and I've changed so she's a really interesting person from a pop culture perspective and I am so thankful for Jen coming on and sharing her expertise in the 90s wild child phenomenon and TV in general. You can follow Jen on Instagram and Twitter at Jen Pops. That's Jen with two N's. She has great content all about pop culture and everything. And you need to read her writing too. It's awesome. I loved her piece on 90210 in the independent recently everyone should go check that out you can follow me on instagram and twitter at molly Mulshine. please rate and review diva behavior on apple podcasts and also check out my new podcast christmas news it's me and my sister breaking down all the christmas news week after week from now until christmas i think you guys are gonna like it it's pretty deranged now enjoy the episode some people think diva is a diva to you would you say are you one I never said that. Diva behavior. 
Diva Behavior, the podcast. So I'm here with Jen Gannon. Jen, thank you so much for joining me. No problem. I'm delighted. I'm delighted to find someone who's so obsessed with 90210 because I was never really into it. I don't know why. And what I want to know is you're from Ireland, right? Where in Ireland are you from? I'm from Dublin. Okay, cool. So how did you get so into 90210? Me and my sister, who's four years older than me, we shared a room and In that summer, there was like a seismic event where my mom and dad allowed us to have a little portable TV in our room. So I was about eight or nine and then she was whatever, 12. And we were just delighted with this because that meant that we had a little bit of freedom and we could kind of watch shows that maybe they didn't approve of or, you know, we didn't have to watch them on the main TV downstairs. So it subsequently kind of dovetailed with the times when... ITV was this it's English network, but we got it in Ireland and they had Baywatch. And Baywatch was huge for them. And they showed it at like six o'clock on a Saturday. And Baywatch was such a head spinner for us because we were like, what is this show? It's so bizarre. Like, because they had like these long montages in it where they play like rock set and stuff and nothing would happen, obviously. Like it'd be the girls running down the beach or whatever. But we were always like, this was like a totally new way of TV for us. Like it was like mixing an MTV video with like a, a sitcom almost or like a drama show. And what and then, kind of TV, like, can you explain what, what does that contrast with? Like what kind of TV were you used to before that? I mean, we loved Neighbours. Like I'm a massive Kylie Minogue fan. Like she's my God. And we had Neighbours. So we did have like those Australian soaps were glamorous to us. Like we did have that bit of glamour and we had... Dallas. Dallas was huge in Ireland. I can't even explain how big Dallas was in Ireland. Like everybody from outside Dublin was really obsessed with it. So we did have those kind of shows mixed with, you know, our own kind of homegrown stuff. But I think with Baywatch, it was just this level of almost like music videos, like mix, like that we'd never seen before, that kind of art direction, that kind of cinematography. And so when ITV had Baywatch, they also had... Um, they bought Beverly Hills 90210. And I remember it, it being trailered constantly, like just with the theme tune and little, like just little snapshots of what was going to happen. And then me and my sister were obsessed with magazines. We bought all the magazines, like smash hits, TV hits, big, anything to do with like celebrities and like film or music or TV. And they were always talking about, you will not believe your eyes when you see Beverly Hills 90210 because it already had come out in America but it hadn't come out in Europe yet. So we were about six months behind, I think. And it was just the level of PR and press it got about how scandalous it was going to be and how sexy it was going to be. We were off our heads. We were high for months going, what is the show going to be like? <laughs> so we got to watch that every Saturday then when it started on ITV. And that I, it was just like, it opened up my world to this whole different way of being a teenager. Like you'd see teenagers in films and stuff, like in Dirty Dancing or Ferris Bueller, that's weird because it's both Jennifer Grey. She was like my idea of a teenager. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you'd never see anything like this where it was like taken seriously almost. Like teenagers taken seriously and it wasn't just like, oh, they're just a funny, silly like character and aside. Like this was a show about teenagers for teenagers. Well, for preteens because I don't think anybody as a teenager probably watched it like an older teen. But that's, that was my introduction to it. So we were so lucky to have that little TV in a room because there's no way my mom or dad would have let us watch it. 
I know that is so funny. You were watching it at eight years old. Like, do you think back at the shows that we watched when we were little and just, I'm horrified. Like I used to watch MTV spring break where they would have people, they would have this. The one thing I really remember, I was probably like eight or nine watching this was they had a couple's challenge where the couples got up on stage at spring break and they had to put whipped cream bathing suits on so they were naked and they put whipped cream all over their like privates and then they had to lick it off each other and this was happening like in the middle of the day on tv and I was like this must be what it's like to be a teenager like this is definitely this what, is what they do on yeah. the regular when you're a teenager for sure yeah yeah I mean, like in Ireland because we got English tv British tv on the BBC there was like Grain Chill which was like this tv show about school but that was like real it felt very real it was kind of you know it's kind of like the Mike Lee version of like a, a, high, a high school drama so it was more like you'd see you know leaky radiators in classrooms and damp classrooms and people going on about having double mats whereas like Beverly Hills 90210 was like this fantasy of like they had cars they had their own credit cards and I remember talking to my friend Benny she was also mad into it when we were growing up and she said she'll never forget one line that Kelly says in Beverly Hills where she's like, um, it was Brenda. Brenda was talking about Kelly to her mom and she was saying, you know what Kelly had for dinner tonight? Because she was complaining about the pot roast. And they're like, what? She's like, popcorn. And, I was, and that was the most beautiful, extravagant, fantastical thing to us that were like, oh my God, that's amazing. And eating disorder is cool. But uh, like, so it was so different. It was so foreign to anything. Yeah. It's, I think in American TV, we, we have a knack for making things really over the top, fantastical, aspirational in a way that I don't know if you see, I mean, I think Bollywood probably does that too, but Mm. in terms of like teen shows, you also wrote in your piece in the independent, which everyone should read. It was great. All about 90210 and like kind of the birth of the teen drama in the nineties. And you wrote about how by the mid nineties, things kind of became a little more maudlin in the teen drama world with my so-called life and everything like that. And it, really got me thinking like do you think we're kind of heading into that right now I definitely do like if you look at euphoria uh the HBO I mean it's HBO doing a teen drama so of course it's going to be really gritty and very intense but I do think that like there's a rejection of say something like Glee that was massive and I know Glee was fantastical it wasn't actually a strict high school drama but I had the elements of it that it almost was like you know a, a, a projection like a very camp kind of version of what a high school drama is but I think with like something like euphoria it is amazing and I think that's what's needed at this time because I think teens are dealing with those issues and also are way more sophisticated than we were back in like you know the 90s or 2000s they they've lived such an accelerated life and they live a life that they're subjected to a lot more like pornography online or like social media or pressurized living and I know you know every team goes through those motions but I think there is a version of this that we never had before because they can do this all in private and they don't have to broadcast you know this they, they can essentially live a double life that we don't really see anymore and I think that's probably why the, that tone is way more serious and something like Euphoria you see one of the girls who's basically doing sex work online but then in school she's completely different and you wouldn't even associate the two and there's stuff like that that's there to scare parents definitely and drama publicity but also has to have that grain of truth in it but I think I'm kind of sad that we're missing out on 
something like 90210 that for me has this real um, over-the-top sense of humor that I love, that I think drew me to a lot of other stuff where you, that you wouldn't expect. Like it made me in, like love John Waters films, for instance, because I kind of went through Beverly Hills 90210, that humor to something like Crybaby, where you can see, I love like the back chat of the girls, like Donna and Kelly, and you don't get that anymore. Everything's kind of tinged with a, a lot more authenticity and seriousness. And I wish there was just a show that was a little bit more multicolored and, you know, fun, more fun. Yeah, that's the thing. It seems like we're in a little bit of a non-fun moment for TV and even for film, even though, I mean, the film industry is like basically non-existent right now. But yeah, I miss things like the OC. Like, I, I don't know, I guess it's, we're in such an eat the rich moment that we don't want to see things like the OC and 90210. But even on like my brokest days, I'm like, let me just watch some rich people being idiots. Like I just, I don't like, sometimes I want to watch people that I relate to. And sometimes I want to watch Real Housewives, you know? (laughs) 100%. It's like why I love Made in Chelsea. And I've written about Made in Chelsea since I very first started uh, because I just love rich people problems. I think it's so funny when they're like, oh my God, I can't go to this stupid dance thing because my ex-boyfriend's going to be there and all that ridiculousness that is such escapism because you really are laughing at them. Like, it's great. Like, But I think yeah. maybe with the new Gossip Girl reboot, that might be a little bit more fun. I'm hoping. Oh, good point. Yeah, hopefully that will bring it back a little bit. Yeah. That would be great. What do you think is going to be different in that? I don't know. I mean, I, I hope it's going to be like a, a euphoria light almost, you know what I mean? So it will tackle the issues of euphoria, maybe, but not in such an intense kind of way. It'll be more frothy and more ridiculous. Like, that's why I liked Gossip Girl, because it was extremely ridiculous. Like, and absolutely, like, I remember Charlie Booker years ago describing, like, casualty on, on the BBC as it's supposed to take place in a hospital, but it seems so ridiculous it could take place in a sheep's eye. And that's the way I feel like Gossip Girl is. It's so out of its head. It could like it doesn't have any semblance of reality to it. So I'm hoping it'll just be a lot of elaborate outfits and a lot of stupid situations that can be resolved by just talking to somebody. I love that about those storylines where it's all like, oh, if they literally just went back and said to someone, actually, hang on a second, they think blah, 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 the whole storyline would be finished. Like, So I love all that stupidity about it. So I just want it to be big and goofy, but I think it'll be big and goofy with a more inclusive cast. I think that's what they're trying to aim for this time around, that it won't yeah. just be the white faces, which is a great thing. Yeah, that is great. It really is. And yeah, because now you have things like Emily in Paris, which is big and goofy. And it's Darren Starr, same creator as 90210. But it, uh, and I loved it. I really enjoyed watching it. And as someone who has lived in Paris, it rung very true to me. Like when people were like, oh, these are stereotypes. I was like, "Mm, go live in Paris. It's not that, (laughs) it's really not that far off. But I mean, yeah, it's it does feel a little bit like a relic because of how white and sort of privileged the main characters are. So, yeah, I mean, how can you do a show like, I guess we're going to see them attempt to do Gossip Girl in a way that will sort of appease the people who want to see a little bit more from their from TV, I guess. Mm, I think so. And I think it's like it has to get that mix right. And I think it's competing... But I think, you know, there could be a lot of backlash against um, the more serious kind of shows because we're in a moment where everything is so, in, like, 
lockdown, the whole world is changing, that we need comfort in TV. So I think there might be a backlash against this kind of scabrous kind of, you know, showing the dark side of reality, those kind of shows. I think that might be on a wind down and we're going to be on another, you know, level of let's have escapism. Because, you know, as you know, like during lockdown, Emily in Paris was huge. Housewives were huge. Like people mm. just getting introduced to that on Netflix. All those type of escapist shows people like were drawn back to or were discovering. So I think Gossip Girl is going to get a huge boost that, I think. Yeah, that's exciting. So let's get to the topic that we really, really want to talk about, which is the 90s bad girl, the myth Mm. and the archetype of the 90s bad girl. And I guess our entry point into this is Shannon Doherty. So you're a huge fan of Shannon, right? I loved, yeah, I love her as Brenda Walsh was like my icon. Like growing up, I just wanted to be her. And I used to try and do the same poses in the mirror as her face because she's such a great face when she pouts or when she is unhappy with someone and it's so visceral to me that I can hear her just saying you know Dylan or like (laughs) Brandon and like her little face like I just it's so visceral to me and I just adored her and I just loved that she wore all black and she had dark hair and to me she was like the antithesis of what you would think of like an American teenager to be and that's I just thought she was so cool and then just we I used to read about her life all the time in all of those magazines and just thought oh my god she's really out there and living something that you could never even imagine like yes she was doing some wild things mm-hmm. and like on this podcast as you know usually i mean what my goal is is to say these women are misunderstood they're mm-hmm. not actually divas they're not actually demanding or entitled but with Shannon Doherty, she sort of is like, no, yeah, I was really demanding and entitled. And like, yeah, she never gives that. And I think, you know, there was all these rumors of her getting into actual fist fights behind the scenes and having to leave the show because basically they, they just couldn't put up with her anymore. And there's this interesting, there's a 90210 podcast that they just started this year for the anniversary. And a lot of it goes through, like they're trying to do it almost without talking about that kind of stuff because it's a lot of the producers on the show. But then one of the producers, I have here, Chuck, uh, Chuck Rosen, he was saying that he called out her callous indifference to like how difficult it was to work with her over the years. And I just think there's something brilliant about that, like that she was just so, she did not give a crap. And I think her behavior, the way that she went on, I think you have to understand as well, you hit a peak at a certain, if you're a child star, and she was a child star, she started on Little House on the Prairie, and then she went on to being in Heathers and stuff like that before Beverly Hills. And I think when you look at those child stars, anywhere from like Judy Garland to right up to Lindsay Lohan, you hit a peak faster than other actors that have been in the game, because you've you're pushed into an industry that maybe you don't exactly want to be in and you probably shouldn't be in. Like there's a whole way of feeling that, you know, a mindset that you think maybe children shouldn't be actors at all. Like child actors, it shouldn't happen to them. And I think that's what happened to her. There was like a sense of like, she was an urge to all of that and was tired. She was tired of being on a treadmill. And You know, nobody prepares you for that level of fame and the level of fame that came with Beverly Hills 90210 that I don't think they were all expecting. And a lot of her behavior was a young girl kind of acting out going, um, I don't want to do public appearances. I don't feel happy to play the game. And I think 
a lot of that time it is just it's not just a an, an fu reaction to authority it's a, a lot of the time it's her acting out because i don't think she she wanted to necessarily have to do all the bells and whistles and had been doing this work for a long time and was just tired of it and I don't think like a lot of people you just don't think about that a lot of time with child stars I think a lot of people just think oh they're being indulgent and they're acting out and um I think a lot of it is just to do with the fact that they just don't want to be there anymore and I think that was with her um but I found it really enjoyable that's the thing like I love um that kind of attitude there was an attitude that she had where she was interviewed in Radar magazine years after and she was kind of saying I just didn't care if people liked me or not and I love that attitude because I love Madonna and that reminded me of that defiance of Madonna that she's saying no why should because I'm a woman you automatically feel that I have to be nice I have to be sweet I have to you know be kind and like I, I can behave anyway I want to behave and there's something about that that I really found interesting and I, like almost she was like kind of acting out something that I wish I could have done or was brave enough to do that she was doing um, and I just really enjoyed it. Um, she says in the same oral history where Rosen had that comment about her being late she disputes that she says I was only late three or four times and everybody else was late too and she also there's also a quote I think it was Jenny Garth talking about her saying that she had all these opinions about the right way to do things and people didn't respond well to that and yeah like you said she's a child star she's literally been on sets since she was what 10 years old so uh, like of course, she's going to tell the men in charge, hey, wait, I think you should actually do it this way because I've been doing this day in and day out for over a decade. And then, of course, the men in charge are going to get, like, butthurt about it and, you know, say that she's demanding and entitled and a diva, so. Exactly. And I think as well, you know, it didn't do them, um, it didn't do the guys of Beverly Hills and Atuno any harm to have her in the mix because, because of her and because she was kind of pushed into be in a certain way in the press or, you know, the press talking about her in a certain way and because of the, the headlines that she generated, et cetera, they could kind of hide behind that. So their worst behavior was hidden. You had like, they were, you know, Jason Priestley driving fast cars and the womanizing that all went on with all the guys in the cast was kind of just about, well, hidden because and concealed because she was out there taking 90% of the heat. So they were delighted. They were delighted to have her be talked about like that. And, you know, and, and it's the usual with that, like the worst behavior of men is almost celebrated, whereas women, you can't have an off day. And I think it's funny in the 90210 podcast that's on that they have the actual wild child of Beverly Hills 90210, uh, Emily Valentine. The actress is on talking about her time on the show and she makes sure to say, Shannon is an amazing actress. And if you watch those shows back, She's acting, you know, head and shoulders above the rest of the cast. And you could tell that, like, Chuck Rosen, not the happiest about her bringing it back to Shannon all the time. And I thought it was really funny because I was like, the wild childs are protecting each other. The wild children have each other's back. But, like, it was just nice to see because I don't think that is acknowledged, like, how good she was in the show and how much her performance kind of, you know, changed that show. And, but, like, it's, it's strange to me because in those interviews she always talks about how people started to conflate her character with her as a person so another way she could differentiate you know for people between her and Brenda was to act out and was to be crazy and and you know have a fun time and I think 
you know, anything that she did, maybe apart from the drunk driving, is like things that, you know, a lot of people did in college, like just having, like being drunk and out of control and getting thrown out of a club or whatever. A lot of people did that behavior too. And it's just because who she was, who she was at the time that, you know, people really clung on to it. Um, and I just find that is with her and a lot of all those other girls at the time that were described as, you know, the wild child kind of girls. Um, it's just the misogyny of the media that really comes into play that hasn't really been looked at again, because I think that's a part of history because it happens when they're younger, like with Drew Barrymore or Lindsay Lohan or Misha Barton even, for the Olsen twins, they want to kind of put it behind them and not talk about it and be like, I move on, I'm, I'm grown up now, that they shouldn't have to hide it because I think it is just part of the media's concentration on hating women being free and hating women, seeing women having a good time and genuinely not having a care in the world. And it's more about that, I think, than anything else, why they were branded like this. And this had an effect on her time in the show, right? Because her trajectory on the show, in the beginning, her character is sort of, you know, new girl in town from Minnesota, right? In LA. And she is sort of a goody goody. And then I guess the headlines that she was getting outside of the show sort of started to inform the way they wrote her character, right? Yeah, they did. And it was like, she went from the worst thing she probably did was dye her hair blonde and, you know, hang out with like Dylan. To Later on in the show was like, she had a marriage that lasted like a couple of days. She ended up getting involved with these animal rights people. She dropped all her friends to become a hippie. And people hated those storylines because they, they hated her. They just hated the character, the, the turns that they had taken this character. And it's wild to me to think about it, but there was this whole thing where two ex-fans of the show set up the I Hate Brenda Club. Yeah, what is that? I saw that so much in my research. And can you tell us a little bit about that? It's like a newsletter done by these two girls and they ran it just to say how much they disliked the character and how much the character had changed and that she should be kicked out of the show. But it really got a lot of media attention. They had sent it to various like media outlets and they published stories around it. And also they had really bizarrely, they had a tip line where the I hate Brenda tip line where you could ring up and tell your story about Shannon or see, or like just like if you spotted her out. So it was like an early kind of gawker stalker. Mm-hmm. Um, like that, they were keeping tabs on her, you know, all around the city. And it reminded me of the way that they would do that with Lindsay Lohan eventually, where it was like, you know, on Gawker, it'd be like, Lindsay spotted here, go and see if she's a mess. So it was kind of like the genesis of that. And it's so, it's crazy to me that it was just two fans who got completely swept away by how much they disliked a character that they went on to try and get Shannon fired from the show or get her to leave the show completely, which is just madness to me. Yeah, it and it reminds me of Dumois. Do you follow them on yes, Instagram? I do. Yes. Yeah, that is a really wild thing that's happening right now, and I'm really interested to see where it goes because it seems like a lot of the stuff they publish is not true, and yeah. there's just no vetting whatsoever. And the person who is publishing that stuff is saying. I only publish things that seem true. And it's like, well, yeah, a lot of stuff seems true. That doesn't mean that it is. So I I feel like it's going to lead to more demonization of more 
celebrities. And I don't know, I guess it's just a question of whether people think they deserve it or not. I don't know. Yeah. And like completely, and from my end of things, like when I was, uh, me and my sister were crazy about Gawker and Gawker Stalker, especially when it came along, we were like, holy crap. Like it'd always be like, you know, Vincent Gallo spotted with this girl outside blah, 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 nightclub or, and like yet again, because we were living so far away, it didn't really mean anything to us. It was, it was as meaningless as reading like there was a used to be a column in Heat magazine called Spotted, and it'd just be like people going, "Oh, I saw Sienna Miller like having a cigarette outside whatever cinema." But when that kind of stuff is impacted by like say stan culture and impacted by like fan fiction almost, when all those things kind of like conspire together, they create stuff like that, and and it's scary because as you said, there's no veracity about it, and there's no care like with it. And I remember like Gawker getting into so much trouble over, they had that story about um, Milo, I can never say his surname. Yiannopoulos? Um, no, the, from Gilmore Girls, from This oh, Is Us. Oh, Milo Ventimiglia. Yeah, him being really mean apparently to Alexis Bledel in a restaurant and making her cry. And like, I've never forgotten that. And I'm always like, I he sounds really mean, but you don't know if this stuff is true. And it's like, I mean, that's mild in comparison to what they're saying about other people, but that has always stuck in my mind. And I always think when you create these kind of worlds around like celebrities and there's nothing else to go on other than somebody's word and a blind item, it's, it's very problematic to say the least. And I do worry, it's usually the women that end up on, on the fuzzy end of the lollipop on these things. So I do worry about, the images and, and what kind of images they're creating, especially for young girls that like, you know, are pretty much like you're still like young girls in this industry, like are still coming into it without protection, like that they should have a lot more protection. And I always think that when I see stories about Shannon Darty or like when I was looking up stuff like back in the day, like that happened to her back in the day, I was just like, there was nobody really around her, apart from the people that were paying her to say, maybe stop. And like that, uh, that echoed straight through to like from Drew Barrymore right down to Lindsay Lohan. Like there's never anybody there to kind of, that actually has your best interests at heart. And I think that's the saddest thing about that whole like wild child milieu. Like, Yeah, that is, I mean, in, I was reading a story from People magazine from 1993 about Shannon's legal battle against Dean Factor, who she was dating. So yeah, he is, he was the heir to the Max Factor cosmetics fortune, which is huge. Like, you know, if people don't know, Max Factor is like the Hollywood cosmetics brand. It's, it's credited in the credits of I Love Lucy. That's how long it's been around. And he says that Shannon, the, the worst thing that can happen to a celebrity in terms of their reputation is a court battle because all of that stuff, even if people lie, it still has the patina of realness and truth to it because it happened in court. So he said that um, Shannon waved a gun at him and Mm. threatened him with all this stuff. He says that she was doing like abusing her and everything. And then her dad gave all these comments saying that, he was the one abusing her. So this is just like, this I feel like was probably one of the worst things that she went through was going through that publicly. And I think it was in the early nineties. So I think people probably had a really, really simplistic view of 
abuse and they probably just thought she was insane and here's this old money hollywood guy who she's like tormenting and i don't know so do you know if that what kind of effect that had on her career in real time it did like it had a huge effect and if you think about like the fact that she um she had a series of those kind of short lived relationships because she was also with ashley hamilton like who's George Hamilton's son and, and their marriage I think ended within a year after she was with like Dean Factor and he said like he got a restraining order after her because he said that she had run him over and um, so like none of this looks good when like I'm like they don't they don't see that like let's say she was going from one chaotic relationship to the next and like her all of those brushes with the law added to this whole bad girl reputation and she was forced to like go to anger management courses and because she smashed a beer bottle on the window of somebody's car and I think it could have been Dean Factor's car and she got three years probation later on for drinking and driving and so like when all of this like moves together it's like your reputation is completely destroyed um, and I think in Hollywood, if you're a man, you can bounce back immediately. If you're Mel Gibson, you're fine. You know, if you're Robert Downey, the one parallel I always say for all of these kind of wild child girls is Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr. like went to rehab, was like completely messed up on drugs and yet still once after he went into rehab and came out of rehab, it was like everything's back to normal again. Let's rehire him or whatever. And even after like Shannon had gone to like, her through her rehab and through her anger management courses it was still like nobody wanted to touch her with a 10-foot pole and it's weird to me that it ended up being Aaron Spelling again with Charmed that kind of ended up bringing her back into the fold but that tag when you are a woman and you are you know have the tag of being difficult that follows you around forever Mm -hmm. you cannot erase it nobody can erase it and I feel that's what happened with Charmed. Like, even if she could have went on Charmed and did, like, an Emmy performance, but nobody, that's not what people wanted from that. They wanted to watch her, you know, be the bad girl that she was supposed to be. And I think a lot of the narrative around Charmed was Alyssa Milano and her, and they set up the two young girls, like Alyssa Milano from Who's Boss and Shannon Dargy from Beverly Hills 90210, and they wanted to set them against each other. And that's what 90% of the press around Charmed was about. Instead of being like, Shannon's made a comeback and isn't it great that she's on primetime TV? It was about, I heard she's being a little cow to like gorgeous Alyssa Milano behind the scenes. And that's what the story became, which was really frustrating yet again. And she ended up directing some episodes of Charmed and she really wanted to try different things with it. But um, it ended up being a case where yet again, the rumors took hold and she just said, I've had enough of this and I'm going, I'm leaving. And she let, like, she ended up leaving Charmed, like, after, I think, three seasons or something, which was crazy. Um, and didn't talk about being pushed out or anything, never spoke about it as, like, anybody ganging up on her or being asked to leave or anything. She just said she was grown up. She was 30 by that stage and she just didn't have time for drama. That's all she said. And I think there was a lot of stuff behind the scenes that maybe they not like a golden but they wanted those kind of stories like and it was good for the show it was good press for the show to be able to like have that kind of those you know on entertainment weekly on you know all of that kind of stuff to have that in the background to have people watch it because of that and i think yeah you would be very tired of that being the only narrative that people have about you 
Yeah, I was going to say you have to wonder how often these narratives are pushed by, you know, the publicists who work on behalf of the show or on behalf of the co- her co-stars because it is a net benefit for the show even if it drags her through the mud. And the other interesting thing is so many people who have worked with her have spoken so highly of her. Even Jenny Garth, who was allegedly her rival on 90210, she yeah. says that they're good friends now. Brian Austin Green from 90210 has said that she's a great person and he loves her. Like, it just seems, you know, of course, maybe she she clearly did have some anger issues when she was younger, but it seems that she also was really talented and really hardworking and took her work really seriously. But did Alyssa, has Alyssa Milano ever spoken about? She did, yeah. Alyssa Milano did an interview where she said um, that, look, it wasn't as bad or as crazy as everybody thought it was. Um, She said, like, look, some days we didn't get along, but some days, like, I was in a bad mood and I didn't speak, so it wasn't all on Shannon. She did say that, like, it was everybody. It was just the fact that there was like, you know, this, the cast on set, like you fight with your coworkers. That's about as much as it was. And she said it was inflated a lot more than uh, it needed to be at the time. So I think, you know, looking back on it, everybody is like, yeah, maybe we didn't give her the easiest of rides, like mm-hmm. for the show, which is, it's just frustrating. And I think that happens to women a lot. And if you look at something like when I was like, ta- like thinking about doing this, I was thinking, extremely about Drew Barrymore because she is the archetype of you know the wild child and I think it Drew went through a phase of like being in rehab obviously when you're like 12 insane like crazy I'm coming out of rehab when you're 14 and living with David Crosby she lived with David this is wild to me because it's like she was 14 years old and lived with David Crosby went on tour with Crosby Stills and Nash when she was 14 I didn't know that Yes, after coming out of rehab. And who would do that? Who would put a child, and, and a child who was, you know, quite, you know, not in a great place, who would send them off on tour with these old men? Like who, when you think about like that time that they were, you know, at the height of their fame, it was all about young fans. And then I just think it's the creepiest thing. Like she always said David Crosby was great and his wife is amazing and they set her straight. But to go on tour with a whole load of old men when you're 14. Like, imagine that these days. I, I was trying to think of like a good, you know, comparison. And I was like, it would be like if Miley Cyrus at the height of Hannah Montana's went to live with like Marilyn Manson. Like, it's just <laughs> nuts to me that nobody cared about these girls enough to kind of be like, is this okay? And like how times change like so quickly. And I think with Drew Barrymore, she, after she like, after all of that and she came out of rehab and she was she wasn't getting any the roles that she was get, were getting was like poison ivy like remember that film where it was like mm-hmm. the bad babysitter seduces the dad kind of those kind of almost pornographic films where she was still underage she was still like you know 16 17 playing like these very sexy girls and that was the limited roles that hollywood had for her they had her pegged this is the type of girl she is this is the only way that we can see her having a, a career. And she did that film, what's it called, Bad Girls, where she was in, it was a Western. And she mm-hmm. had to like, wear like, she was this, the slutty one. Like she was wearing corsets and like garters and had like big bouffant hair. And like, it really took her at like 1920 to start up her own production company, like Flower Films, to actually create roles for herself that weren't 
the sexy messed up girl and I think that's the problem like when you're have that tag when you have that name of being a bad girl or being like wayward you have to you're the only person that's going to be able to take control of your career like Hollywood they're not going to do it for you they would rather just pin you as that forevermore if you're a woman and I think that's what happened to Shannon Doherty and maybe she found herself too late like it was maybe too late for I don't think like you can never say never but I think if she had taken the reins more of her own career that could have been different for her I definitely think so like I'd love to have seen her in like a cougar town kind of thing she would have been brilliant yeah oh that would have been so good yeah Um, yeah and on the underage you know celebrity thing when Millie Bobby Brown when it was revealed that Drake was texting her everyone was like okay, red alert, stop that. Drake, we're watching you. Like, we are not going to let this happen. And I mean, obviously none of us have any power in the situation, but at least there was a backlash, which would not have been happening even like 10 years ago, you know? Yeah, it's crazy. I think that's an amazing thing. And I think like one of the things that really struck me and I took away from Drew Barrymore's story because I I just obsessed with it is the fact that when she... um, she did Playboy when she was 18, I think, or 19, and she was on the cover. And her godfather, in inverted commas, Steven Spielberg, sent her a quilt and a note that said, you know, cover up. And it's like, hang on a sec, godfather. Why don't you give me a bloody roll instead <laughs> yeah. of sending me a quilt? Like, what the hell? It's just so, it was so ridiculous to me, and I couldn't believe it. I felt so sorry for her. I was like, yet again, like, even by a man in your life who's supposed to be, you know, trusting or whatever, that's still what the image he has and he's supposed to know her. That's still the image he has of her is like this out of control girl that needs to, you know, cover up and be stopped. Like it's so messed up. It really is. And I think, yeah, and something, somebody like Millie Bobby Brown, thank God she has, you know, a team. We're, she's grown up in a whole new world. Like even I was thinking like back to the days of Perez Hilton when that was just massive and you would see really young girls like Lindsay Lowen and the Olsons and Misha Barton and the disgusting manipulation we used to do photographs of them and I'm just thinking right now if you did something like that with Millie Bobby Brown people would flip out which Mm -hmm. is a good thing like we have progressed even in that short space of time which feels feels like a short space of time but you know which is only can only be a good thing yeah definitely so I guess Drew Barrymore is the rare quote-unquote bad girl who has been able to redeem herself and I say that in terms of you know I don't think she needed to be redeemed I don't think any woman needs to be redeemed but you know she was able to reverse her image so do you think it is because just because she took the reins of her career and started producing her own stuff do you think it might also have to do with her Hollywood pedigree a little bit too a little bit but I think they just they I mean obviously her pedigree is definitely important because that means you can't like no matter how many toilets she cleaned and she did she said she worked in you know average jobs after being in rehab and no matter how many of those she did she's still a barrymore at the end yeah. of the day she's not going to be sucked into the pain. she's not going to go back to the middle of nowhere where nobody knows her so yeah that's definitely gave her the staying power but i think you have to create your own you can only make it work if, if you create your own. You have to be that bit more clever. And I see that with Lindsay Lohan as well, because I think sometimes like, it's so funny to me, because like every time I watch Mean Girls, I cry at the end of it because I just think 
she's so talented like she was so talented and she deserved so much better than what she ended up getting but it's because she never was able to break out of that cycle I think if she just had had one person just say let's or, or if she had the capacity within herself let's say to say I want to do my own thing I want to write my own stuff I want you know to make it better for myself I think we'd see a whole different Lindsay and she'd be I mean I'm still hoping banking on the fact that she will have this massive comeback maybe in her 40s I know um, I want it so bad. Even in that Brett Easton Ellis film, The Canyon, oh, the Canyons, she yeah. was so good. Yeah, she's brilliant. I yeah. just think, like, it's just, you get stuck. And if you've watched, like, I watched, I used to watch the Lindsay Lohan reality show that was on E. Uh, I still before. haven't watched it. Is it good? Oh, no, this is the one before she went to Mykonos and all that. This was the one where it was just like, she was back in America. She was in America and she was just, trying to get her life back together. Oh, it was her and Oprah. Yeah, when Oprah was, which I only, I only took cocaine twice, three times, that one. Where, <laughs> like, it's amazing. And she gets wed by Oprah, which is great. But it's not helping at the same time. But it's, I know. <laughs> the loneliest, it's the loneliest, saddest reality TV show I think I've ever seen. And it, it really is a kind of warning against getting into that industry at such a young age. Because... She is feels like she's actually short of the waist at the door, and she's not even twenty two or something at that point. And it's just, and you see that happen like again, like with someone like Misha Barton, or you know, that they were just they're so closely intertwined in my mind because I always think of that Memorial Day party that Nicole Richie had, and Misha Barton was supposed to have OD'd or like just gone crazy. That is always in my mind that they they just they're always intertwined in my mind, all those girls. And it's just, it's really sad to me that like, even that is what's in my mind that you can't get away from that. There's no way that they can, there has to be a way that they can escape from that image. And the only way is by getting people in Hollywood to trust them again or to create things on their own level. And it's sad because as I say, Mel Gibson gets a free pass. Mark Wahlberg, you know, is treated as an actual viable actor and Robert Downey Jr. is garlanded and he gets to, you know, in like franchises massive superhero franchises and where are the women like the only person uh, from a that has any way of background like that is Drew Barrymore and she has to do it herself like there's mm-hmm. no help for them it's really sad yeah it really is it really is I have this theory that women are more when you call a woman a diva or entitled or demanding you can basically paint her with any charge that you can think of for the rest of her career and I feel like that's true with Shannon Doherty you know it's true with Lindsay Lohan and I guess with Drew Barrymore she's sort of come out of it but yeah it really is just so stigmatizing for women in the public eye. And I also think it, a lot of it has to do with class because you don't see it as much in celebrities who are either nepotism celebrities or just sort of to the manner born in general. Like with Drew Barrymore, I think that is part of why she was able to come back from it. And Paris Hilton, she has kind of been able to rehab her image, which is crazy. For me, and- Paris, you're right about definitely like Paris 100%. And I think Paris set herself up weirdly at that time when she was hanging around with Lindsay and Brit- and Brittany. She kind of held herself up as the kind of one with the knowing wink. It was almost mm. like she was going to the press. Oh, look at this. Isn't this funny? I've got like, and she was kind of like the main, 
you know, mean girl. She was the main one that kind of hooked these other girls into her little trio. We always knew that she was going to pull the rug away eventually and walk away from it scot-free, like without a blemish on her. And she somehow, because she is that bit more knowing, like she, she's very self-aware that she knew that this was a phase or this was something that she could like, you know, get more publicity for herself because of, but then walk out, like leave it as much, like as quickly as she got into it. Um, I think she's so clever. She's very clever about the way that she's negotiated her career. So, but like, if you're a Hilton, you, you don't really have to think about anything else but these things. So of course she could sit around and hatch all these plans and, and do all this stuff like, and she's not going to end up, you know, a nobody. Right. So. I guess that's the thing. It's like, you don't actually rely on the work if you're born with that much money. So yeah, you can sort of have fun with it because you know, mm. that even if the work goes away, even if the powers that be decide that you're uninsurable or that you're not worth hiring, you're still going to be okay. But yeah. Yeah. Who do you think was the first, I was trying to figure out who was the first Hollywood bad girl. I was thinking maybe Elizabeth Taylor, but there's gotta be one earlier than that. I mean, Judy, for me, like Judy wasn't, Judy Garland wasn't a bad girl as much as just a sad girl. Yeah. Like she did cause a lot of trouble behind the scenes and she was somebody that they would try and have like fixers look after and kind of control her behavior. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Like Elizabeth Taylor was the one that was just, out of, like as a wild out of control the stories were just amazing about how elaborate her life was and but like she was still respected though I think the thing about it is like Liz Taylor went through hell maybe in the press but still managed to like be you know award nominated like award winning she was still respected in the industry so I think you'd have to it'd have to be somebody that maybe fell off and disappeared out of the limelight maybe for a while because of her reputation Yeah, I think the big difference is in classic Hollywood with the studio system, any bad behavior was going to be covered up and Mm. there were going to be people pulling strings to make sure that if you were driving drunk, which wasn't even a crime back then, but if you, (laughs) if you were driving drunk or if you were, you know, home wrecking someone else's marriage, they weren't going to, the public wasn't going to find out. I guess the nineties is sort of when the powers that be in Hollywood started to realize that there could be more money in women who are behaving badly in the eyes of the public, right? I guess that wasn't really a thing until, was Shannon Doherty the first real bad girl wild child in that way? I mean, in that way, I think she was. In a way that, like, that was the main concentration that they had on her in the press. Like, it wasn't about, hey, isn't she a great actress or you know, she's doing really good things. It was all the press was concentrated on. She fell out of this club last night. She started this fight. Everyone hates her that works with her. That was the most press. I remember like anytime I get any of those magazines, that was the most press that she got. It wasn't anything even like slightly nice. And whereas the guys got away with so much, like all of those Hollywood guys got away, like Christian Slater, like at the same time was being out of control completely and it was just kind of like well that's expected and he's the new Jack Nicholson so we'll let him do whatever he likes and you know Johnny Depp got away with that behavior for a million years Mm. because it was just accepted as he's an eccentric and we all know he's a heavy drinker so whatever we'll just look the other way and I mean I mean it's only like years later that because I was a massive Johnny Depp fan wow that says everything about my taste in men um, <laughs> that like such a bad bad thing but it's only years later that I see 
you know, the stories with him and Kate Moss, where there was a story about when he was arrested for breaking up a whole hotel room when she was there, that I never even looked at as, holy crap, that's really bad, that's abuse, like he's, you know, out of, he's terrible. I just thought of it as, oh, you know, he drinks a lot and it was wild. Like, and I never thought about it in the context of Kate Moss being there and how he could be so frightened of a man like doing that and witnessing that behavior from someone that you're supposed to be in love with. I never thought of it like that at all. And that just shows you how skewed and how male orientated and misogynistic the media is where they will frame things in such a way that a woman falling out of a bar um, is the worst thing in the world. And a man smashing up a hotel room is he's passionate. Mm. And that's still the way things are. And I like, I, I think Julia Roberts, in the 90s, she could have had a very, if it wasn't for the fact that she was getting the roles, she could have had a very different trajectory when she left Kiefer Sutherland at the altar because that was a massive deal. And that went on for so long and she was damned. And she actually came to Ireland with Jason Patrick. They ran away to Dublin. They were staying in the Shelburne, I think. And it was so big at the time. Like, and she, I just think she had, like she could have had that little turn in her career because that was not accepted behavior for women. Like men were allowed to do whatever they liked, have a million affairs, but it was seen as just something so horrific at the time that she could do that. And like, I think what we know now about Kiefer Sutherland, she really did probably make the right decision. (laughs) (laughs) And then she did Runaway Bride, which was such a masterful PR move to just completely own it like that. Totally, totally. But I think if it wasn't for the fact that like she had, you know, those roles in the bag like at that time when she was getting more and more roles and she had that prestige about her it could have changed very quickly for like the public perception of her and the public opinion of her because like she is you know was America's sweetheart and that could have changed very quickly and I just think women are just not allowed to make those kind of mistakes or change their mind right you know And it's so true that the media frames things that way, but a lot of the time we as the public eat it up. And like you said, like I would have been the same way, like, oh my God, Johnny Depp wrecked hotel room. Literally, I would have thought, I hope someone loves me enough to destroy a hotel room someday, you know? (laughs) So why, why do you think it is that we are so ready to lap up these narratives? And it goes right back to like the news. It goes right back to like, you know, Bob Dylan giving the 100% version of who people think Edie Cedric is because of like a Rolling Stone, you know? And it's like, if you're an artist, quote unquote, um, and you have a woman with you, they're supposed to be inspiring. They're supposed to cause ructions in your life. And they're supposed to just be like validated by you and seen through your eyes only. So it's always going to be the male gaze. And I think, you know, women throughout time from like those kind of songwriters writing about certain women they're trapped in amber and they can't escape that kind of viewpoint they can't escape that reputation and I think you know a lot of women like who are seen to be acting out are only acting out of like the limitations that have been put upon them and like that's the thing that I say like the press hates seeing a woman having freedom they hate seeing like if you look at someone like Princess Diana you know you're literally chased to her death because she was trying to have a good time and escape the royal family like that says it all like they just want to put these limitations on a a woman's expectations for herself and I think as long as men control the media and control those in those kind of industries women will always be reduced to 
sex object, crazy person, um, dowdy wife, like those kind of cliches until, you know, women are, until women gain the controls of anything like that, I don't think the media is going to be a, a fair playing ground for women at all. I mean, look, even like, like, like you can think of anything like Sienna Miller and Baldessar Getty, who came out of that worse? She did. <laughs> like, mm. it's like, you know, and like, it's, it's probably also because he's a, you know, in a multimillionaire family. That's the other thing, you know? Um, but that's what I'm saying it's like there is a class element to it even if we're not consciously thinking it it's like even if you are so distrustful of the one percent you're still in the back of your mind gonna like give them a little bit more of an allowance than someone who you know it's so it's so crazy Mm. but and even like if you think of like someone like Hugh Grant or someone like Jude Law you're always like oh they're just rogues it's funny like there's there's such like and if a woman had done either of those things imagine a woman like you know being with a sex worker and and like a marriage or someone in a relationship it just wouldn't happen like you just she would be passed out forever more oh my god you know six kids for six different women he doesn't get treated like katie price where they're always like oh she had five kids for five different men or whatever like that that the press love to do and men just get away with having this behavior and they get patted on the head and think it's cute i think you just came up with the final frontier for female celebrity behavior is when a famous woman gets caught with a sex worker that is going to be like the singularity of celebrity gossip i hope it's countess luan (laughs) oh my god oh my god oh my god it probably will be (laughs) yeah Oh, well, Jen, thank you so much for coming on and talking no about problem. 90s bad girls and Shannon Doherty and everything. Of course, I was going to say, what do you think is next for Shannon? She's got stage four cancer right now, which is so sad and unfortunate. What I would love her to do is write proper memoirs. Like I know she's done stuff in the past and she had that show, Shannon Says, a very short-lived reality show that went through a lot of her money problems. But I think to hear something in her voice about what she went through would just be brilliant and really insightful. So I hope she does Mm. that. Yeah, that would be awesome. And to see her become a filmmaker, you know, behind the camera Mm. in her own right would be so cool. And I think what you said before, like if she was in a show such as Cougar Town, something in that vein, I think would be so awesome. So what's next for you? What are you working on right now? Oh my God. I'm still just writing for every outlet that I can write for. If you want to hire me, please do. And (laughs) I'm just on a lot of different radio shows talking about pop culture. So I'm going off to record an episode about The Crown right now. So the new series of The Crown. So Diana is at the forefront of my mind all the time. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I love Diana. I'm a real Diana stan. Definitely. For life. (laughs) Yeah. Some people think Diva's a diva to you. Would you say, are you one? I never said that. Diva behavior. Diva Behavior, the podcast. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 